love one another, forgive, judge not, fear not. It's all such great advice with beautiful outcomes, but none of those principles is a one-step process. So let's talk specifics, the messy step-by-step. Welcome to, but how though, in a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. Welcome back to But How Though and a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. This week's episode is a little bit different. This past week, I had an interview with a woman named Dr. Allie Mangrum for my other podcast, Humans Dealing with Humans. And I have had Dr. Mangrum on as a guest three times now on Humans Dealing with Humans because of her personal journey of struggle and accomplishment while navigating extremely high levels of anxiety. And I think the tools that she has gathered are extremely helpful. Also, her stories are very entertaining. I had an opportunity last month to attend one of her two-day workshops. And there I had such a profound experience with the idea of inner narratives that we all have playing in our minds and how they affect our personal behavior. And for some of the things that I was working on in my personal life, this was a very timely workshop. And I wanted her on Humans Dealing with Humans one more time to tell some of those amazing stories that were super instructive about those concepts. And then our chat went down the relationship road. And I thought it went so well with what we've been talking about on But How Though that I decided we're sharing it here too. So if you subscribe to both podcasts, it's the same interview. (laughs) You don't have to listen to it twice. But if not, I hope you enjoy this but how though on how understanding the stories we tell ourselves in our minds affect our behavior and how we can help analyze those stories or deconstruct those stories to navigate our relationships and help us let go of the stories that just aren't serving us. Enjoy. We're back with Allie Mangrum. I'm so excited. This is your third time on the show, and I'm I'm just here to tell you I never get sick of it. Well, I'm glad because me neither. I oh, love good. it. Good. So I had the opportunity of going to your workshop that you offer through Living Consciously, and there was one piece of it that I felt like we all need to understand as human beings. We have to have you back on so we can talk about this because it is basic relationship 101. Like it's super, super basic once you learn it, but it's not something that you would just know. Right, right. And that is the the concept of the, I mean, in, in yogi terms, it's samskaras. Essentially, it is what? So samskaras are essentially the stories we tell ourselves or the thought patterns we create. Um, yes. Yogi like to call it the grooves within your brain. So it's the messages you tell yourself about yourself, about your role in this world, about the world itself, you know, it's yeah. the story you tell yourself about what you can achieve, what you are capable of acquiring, the beliefs you create around who you are. And they're so powerful because the more you tell yourself your story, the yeah. more it develops and grows and shapes and molds your life. Right. And so it's so important to recognize what stories am I repeating to myself? And the samskaras, what's so interesting about our samskaras is that at some point you create your story and that usually comes from your experiences and your unique point of view around those experiences. So, you know, you and I can be in the exact same experience at the exact same time 
And we can have very different points of views about what's actually happening. Right. Right. Yeah. And we will form different beliefs. Right. From that point of view, we will create our own belief. You know, you have a point of view enough times, the same message comes up enough times to you that you change it from just a point of view to a belief. And then you tell yourself that belief so many times that eventually that belief becomes the truth, your truth, or your samskara. Yeah. And it's the story that you're carrying. And what we have to be so watchful about is that these stories, these samskaras, become such deep-seated patterns within our thought process. We don't even realize anymore, hey, this was a choice I made at some point in my life to believe this. Right, yeah. It is so embedded that it doesn't seem like a choice anymore. It's just the way it is. Yeah, it, it seems like a fact that was presented it to seems, you. Right. And it becomes something that, you know, they call them broken records or repetitive storylines because they become something that softens it down into that non-conscious awareness. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, you know, let's say you create a storyline that you are not enough. Okay. Like that's a similar storyline that a lot of people have. So let's say you create that storyline. I'm not enough. No matter what I do, it will never be enough. It's not like you hear those words super loud in your head, every interaction you have. It's not like you go out and you're walking through the, you know, the store and you're deciding what, you know, shirt to buy. It's not like the thought in your head says, you are not enough, Rachel. You are not enough. You know, if it was that loud in our heads, we would fight it. We would fight it more. Yeah, But it's so subtle and soft and it's these little undertones of, oh, my body type would never fit into that kind of an outfit. Mm-hmm. That's the really dangerous thing, though, that that's- I want to talk about. It is not overt. And since it's a narrative that's playing in the background, like this is an open tab that is running all the time, even though you won't hear the heavy handed words in every interaction, you will see your belief of it come out in every interaction. In every interaction. And yes. It's this- subtle message that you are sending, not just to yourself, but in the way you behave towards the world. And then that behavior is mirroring it back at you. And so you're constantly, it's that confirmation bias. You're constantly confirming, oh, see, it is true. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that is so critical through this. We first have to get that storyline out of the non-conscious, out of the subtle state. We need to bring it into our awareness. We need to be able to form a tangible sentence. This is what I feel. This is the belief I've created based off this point of view. Mm -hmm. In order to be able to start to wrestle with it, challenge it, and ultimately forgive it and let it go. Well, one of the examples you give of this in your workshop that was really helpful was with you and your husband. This is a really common thing when there's friction with our partners. Right. Um, who we're lifing with, you right. know, and it comes out so often of, I have no idea why he or she took that that way. I have no idea why they would say that that was such an attack on me or whatever. And it's such a common cause of misunderstanding. And so tell us, tell us your Disney World story, Allie. So let me start by saying this, that the way we react to any situation, whatever it is, you know, we love to like push it onto other people's behaviors. They made me angry. Yeah, yeah. They- so bad. But it's always a representation of the story that we're telling ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so this same storyline, I would say the first, I don't know, five to seven years of my marriage, this same storyline came up in every single fight we ever had, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's like I could have picked any one of, I don't know, hundreds of arguments that we got in and illustrated this same point. 
when you really start to break down and understand what is the message I'm telling myself and how is this message leading me to behave, you start to look at it and you go, oh my gosh, this is showing up in every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. Until we release the attachments we have to our stories, mm-hmm. are able to sit in our true essence. All we're doing when we communicate with another person is just mirroring back our own issues. Yeah, you know? totally. Yes. We're just projecting onto each other and mirroring back our own issues. It took years of self-discovery to get to a place where I started to recognize my own storyline and the same for my spouse and finally coming to terms where we could both see where we were falling short and and maybe not even falling short, but where we were projecting on. Yes. Um, So I share this story of the two of us. We had gone to Disney World. We had only been married a few years and Travis was working for a company where he got a promotion and part of his job was that he could travel to different places and kind of check his quality control. He was going to Florida. And so he's like, Hey, come with me. And then we can take a day and go to Disney world. Sounds Um, fun. So fun. So I'm like, great. Really quickly. What is your marriage like at this point? Like you're three years in. We're three years in and I would say our marriage is rough. Like I would not say the beginning of our marriage was easy. Our dysfunctional patterns were very strongly ingrained in both of us. And so we had a lot of these like little arguments playing out every single day as we're trying to navigate. Yeah. Building a life together. Right. Yeah. You bring your own dysfunctional thought patterns into a relationship and then you're trying to manage somebody else's dysfunctional thought patterns. Right. And neither of you quite know at this point yet that it's not your job to take care of the other person. (laughs) Yeah. So you're both just little hamsters on a hamster wheel, just spinning yourselves to death. Yes. And I want to point out, these are not super obviously dysfunctional people. Like these are, you guys are regular people and everybody has some trauma that you're bringing to the table table. just with any, any given life. But we're both functioning humans in society. We both hold jobs. We're going to school. We're relatively happy. We are, it's any of us. This is any of us. You're at least in love, but you're, you've got a rough marriage and you're you find yourselves in Disney World for a day I mean I would say we're happy like we're happy I'm not regretting that I married him yeah 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 (laughs) but we are we are getting in fights probably on a daily or weekly basis you know yeah not knock out drag out but little arguments and okay you know little snippets here and there at each other yeah so we end up in in Disney World and we're standing in line to go on a ride and I'm doing what I always do which I didn't even realize at the time I'm just rolling through in my head like every future step planning out my life as it's going to be for the next 20 years right yeah this is what I'm going to do and this is what's going to happen and for my version of the story You know, I'm thinking I'm just asking Travis a very benign question of, so what's your plan? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? What's your career goals? Where are you going from here? Yeah. Seems reasonable because he just started a new job. He's just started a new job. He just got a promotion. I think I was in grad school at this time or maybe just applying for it. Mm -hmm. At that time of my life, that's all I'm thinking about. I'm obsessed, right, with Uh future planning. And so I ask him and and he starts to get real defensive and, and his defensiveness hurts my feelings and I start to get upset and it turns into this huge dramatic fight where he's angry and I'm crying and it's all emotional and the kind of fights you look back on now and think oh my gosh those poor kids and I love that this is public like you're in line for us we're in line at Disney World (laughs) like who knows how many people around us are listening I don't even know because we're so wrapped up in ourselves all of them all of them awareness right that anything else could be happening or anyone else might be there to enjoy Disney World with their kids whatever like that's not part of our thoughts. 
And some point, I think he like just storms off and leaves me. And I'm like at Disney World, like, I don't, I don't even know what hotel we're staying at. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like, I hope he comes back for me because I have no idea where I am. And, you know, luckily he comes back and, you know, we think we work it out at that moment, right? Like, I'm sorry, you're sorry. You know, in my head, I'm just thinking, Travis is so overreactive and such a jerk, you know? Yeah. And in Travis's head, he's thinking, she's pretty much crazy, but I love her. So we'll just hatch it up and move on. And then we keep seeing these same problems. We're having the same arguments. We're saying the same things about different situations over and over again. Yeah. And, and the hard thing is in the moment back then in that Disneyland line, I was not aware of my belief system was what my story was. I was not aware of the way it made me feel. I was certainly not aware of the way it made me act. Right. And all that I believed was that this was Travis's problem. And if you asked me what was happening, I would say, well, he's just a jerk who's being rude. He's a, a sensitive dude. Yeah. Overreactive and defensive and rude. And I don't understand why. Yeah. And Travis is the same. He has no clue why what I'm saying is triggering something inside him. Yeah. All he knows is that I'm crazy and I'm always asking him all these questions that how in the world can he know what he's going to be doing 20 years from now? Yeah. And you've got all these expectations of yeah, he's got to have the answers now. He doesn't even know why he's feeling this way. All he knows is that it's pissing him off. Yeah. Right. Right. And, you know, if you asked us back then, that's it. That's all we'd know. Travis is a jerk. Allie's crazy. That's all we know. <laughs> right. And then it's like, okay, we'll start to realize this isn't going to work. We can't go on like this. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't good for us. If we bring kids into this environment, this isn't good for them. I know I love this person, but we got to figure out how to not have this same issue whether we're in Disneyland line or trying to decide where to go eat or whatever else. You know? Right. Not that level of friction, it's just not sustainable. Yeah, it's not sustainable. So we got to figure this out. No matter how much love there is, if there's this much also suffering, yeah. we got to figure out what's happening, right? <laughs> right. I started studying yoga and I started like diving into some of these philosophies and recognizing like, okay, I need to look inward. That's what I have to do first. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can't keep projecting and blaming all this on Travis. Like, yeah. I'm not saying he doesn't have a part of it, but if I want to heal, I have to let go of blame and I have to pick up personal responsibility for everything that's in my wheelhouse. Right. And I hope that he will do the same, but I don't have charge of that. Mm -hmm. But years of just diving into myself. Yes. Yeah. You know, and really sitting with myself. I began to recognize that one of my deeply rutted grooves in my brain was a samskara or a thought pattern that was constantly reminding me that the world was not safe, that I was not safe. And that if I wanted to create any kind of safety, I needed to, I had to control every little bit yeah. and be on the lookout for every step. I had to think 15 steps ahead. That's why I'm standing in Disneyland line instead of being able to be present and enjoy myself at Disney world. I'm thinking, what I got to know. Yeah. What are we going to do from here? What's our next career path? Where are we going to be 20 years down the road? Right. And if someone meets that with, well, I don't know, then you're like, then you're all idiots. And I'm the only right. one that can make sure we're safe then. Right. And I don't realize it, but it's triggering this feeling of insecurity, lack of support, and this feeling of, well, then I don't have anything stable to stand upon. Yeah. We can't trust and, anyone then. And yeah. if I can't trust and I don't have anything stable to stand upon and my world could be pulled out from under me, I'm going to feel very uncomfortable, right? Yes. And I'm going to be very aggravated. It's going to cause me a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize at the time that when I would become anxious, 
I would have physical sensations, yeah. right? Yeah. But I would also start hearing a message in my head. Now, the message in my head didn't say, Allie, you're not safe. You need to control everything. The message in my head said, Allie, this is life or death, and it is up to you to protect people, yourself and others. Yeah, Allie, this is your job. This is your job. You figure it out. And if other people are reacting as if this isn't a big deal, it's only because they don't understand. They don't know. They don't see things as far ahead as you do. And so you're the only one that sees the true danger you're in. Yeah, you're the only one that knows we're all about to die. (laughs) Exactly. There was no thought ever that said, you know what also is a possibility, Allie? that things could just work out, that everything could just be okay. You know, that voice had not been given any attention yet. And so all I had listened to was the voice that said, this is going to end terribly. Yeah. And you've got to fix it. Mm -hmm. The only one that can ensure it doesn't end terribly. The only one that can ensure it doesn't. Right. And so looking back, it's like, oh, I hope at some point we do get to see these records of our lives, you know, <laughs> looking back, I don't know if sweet little Allie and that Disney World line came across quite so sweet, you know, <laughs> yeah, she was like, Travis, what are you going to do with your life? What's and he was happen? like, well, I don't know when you're like, uh, then you better think about it. How dumb are you that you don't have a plan already? Yeah. You should already have this figured out. Look at me. I'm and, in grad school. I have a plan. What's yeah, your plan? I have a plan. Like I have a plan. So what's your plan? Right. Yeah. That alone, that's only half of the story. And that alone is enough to create a lot of friction. Right. Right. Yeah. One thing I've recognized is that when I behave like that, when I start to get kind of controlling and aggressive, people don't like it. (laughs) It's weird. Right. It's weird. (laughs) But they tend to get defensive. Mm -hmm. Right. They tend to get a little aggravated, a little aggressive back Mm -hmm. because if someone's pushing at you, you are going to push back at them. Mm hmm. Just looking at things from my side of the fence, it's like, okay, if I can figure out how to create safety, support, and security within myself, another way of saying that is if I can learn to meet my own unmet needs, yeah, then I don't have to constantly be latching onto others as either a parasite or a victim or a controller or a martyr. I don't have to be trying to draw somebody else to meet my needs for me. And I kind of want to talk about that because I know now after years of therapy and talking to Travis and all that kind of stuff, you now know what his side of the story is too. The storyline that was playing in his mind, which is super helpful, but 99% of the time we will not have that information. Right. We will not know what is playing in the other person's mind. No. But it does not mean you have to have that information in order to de-escalate your situation. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why like throughout the workshop, I really try to add in these other elements of like, okay, yes, this is so important understanding the samskaras, but then we also have to understand how to meet our own needs and recognize what those are Mm -hmm. and then understand what we are responsible for and what we are not responsible for. Right. right? You know, and that's where healthy boundaries come in. Right. Right. And that's a piece of the puzzle always because Whatever it is you're struggling with, there needs to be a tool to address it with the underlying realization and belief that we don't have control over anyone outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So many couples, they do, they have that deep love for one another. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lack of love between Travis and I or him or him for me. We just didn't know how to get past our own stuff. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot of humility to say, I'm going to like look inside myself, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm going to be willing to let down my own walls so that hopefully we can come together closer. But it doesn't always work that way. And that doesn't mean 
you have to go on suffering. No. There are yeah. so many other tools that you can pull in because I hear that story from a lot of people too. They're like, well, that's so awesome, but my spouse would never do that. So we can never get to that. That's just another storyline that you're giving yourself where you are giving someone else your power. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point because it's just yeah. another storyline. And I think what's <laughs> really, really important here is to understand that although it's interesting fascinating and could even be helpful to know what what another person is thinking or their storyline it is 100% not necessary for you to get the peace that you're looking for right right for you to liberate yourself which Mm -hmm. is all that you and and any path to liberation any path to self-actualization any path to enlightenment yeah is not dependent upon anyone else. No, never. And I think and that's the most beautiful thing, but it's the hardest right. thing because we we don't want to let go of that idea. We want to believe right. someone else has to fix it for us. And right. that's why or, we're being so affected by their is, behavior. Yes. Or someone else is holding us back. You know, that's yes. the story. I'm like, I'm ready and I'm doing everything, but they continue mm-hmm. to tear me down or pull me back or cause me this suffering you know, my kids are fighting and being obnoxious and it's stressing me out or big, huge things that are happening in my life. It's like, okay, I'm the only one that gets to decide how much of my peace and contentment I give you. Right. Because they literally can't take it from you. It is a connection to you and your universe. And that's what's so liberating about it is it's not dependent on anyone or anything outside of you. And I think that's what really drew me to this path of awareness or awakening because I felt like there were so many things in my life that were so outside of my control. Yes. You know, so many things that I was like, I will never be able to change this. Mm-hmm. And it always left me feeling very hopeless, which I don't think there's a worse feeling than hopelessness, you know? No, and especially if you feel completely impotent. I am right. powerless. I'm powerless to create any kind of change. And yeah. and finally, I just remember thinking, okay, I want to find a way that I can be at peace regardless of if this chaos around me ever stops. Yes. Because I can't control that, but I want to be find a way that I can be at peace regardless of it. And I would like to talk about that for a second because I think so many of us as human beings, we walk around with this high functioning anxiety. We have a high level of it, but we're not quite aware of it because we truly do believe we are responsible for things that we are actually not responsible for. And so when we spend so much energy worrying about certain outcomes, it's usually because we don't have control over those outcomes. That's what's causing the worry. And so when you have a second to just stop and say, okay, what, what was I worried about today? What can I control versus what I can't control? That's a great exercise to do. But as far as our relationships go, especially with our children, I have to make sure this child passes this class. I have to make sure this child graduates college or even on a broader scale. I have to make sure this child chooses my moral standards and values. Otherwise, they might go to hell or I have to. And you and you start to tell yourself these things and you start to worry about what this other person's life is going to be like if you don't interfere. And it really can cause so much war inside your heart, but you don't realize it until you start to have the absence of it when you start to let go of what you're really not responsible for. And knowing that there really isn't a lot that you have to do in regards to another person. Right. It's the hardest thing to see with the people we're closest to. Yes. Right? With our spouse, uh-huh. 
and especially with our children, because we do have like certain legal responsibilities to our kids. Yes, right? yes. And one of the most liberating things to recognize is when we step back and we say, okay, I am responsible to create a safe, supportive space for my kids to thrive, mm-hmm. right? I am responsible to create a safe home and to have shelter for them and food for them to eat Mm -hmm. and a loving environment. Those are the things I'm responsible for. And in yoga, they talk about Dharma versus karma. And Dharma is your life's path, your life's purpose. One of the most profound realizations I ever had was when I was doing a certain meditation around one of my children, trying to figure out you know, what I needed to do to assure certain things, just like yes, you're talking about. Uh-huh. And these things felt so big, life or death. Right. right? Yeah. And it's a big deal. Make sure he's okay. And it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I heard a voice or it was just a knowing inside myself. I don't know. But the message I heard was, you think that you're in charge of his path, but you're not. Yeah. He came here with his own path. He has his own Dharma, his own purpose of life to fulfill your role is not to drag him down the projection, which is what it is. And we can talk a little bit more about projections, the projections of your mind that you think is what he needs to quote unquote succeed. However, we see that Yeah, your role is to support him into finding his own Dharma, his own path. Mm-hmm. And that profoundly shifted the way I parent. I mean, there are certain rules in my home. Like you live in my home, like it's illegal to use alcohol or drugs, before, you know, before yeah. 21. 20- those things, you can't do that. You know, you can't drive a car till you're 16. Like that's the law. And those are the boundaries I have. Right. Mm -hmm. But as far as what they do or how else they do other things, I don't really say no a lot. You know, we sit and talk through what's happening because it's like, my role is to support you in your process. You Mm -hmm. know? And I remember when my oldest got into high school And he started getting so stressed. He's like, mom, I just feel like if I don't get straight A's, you and dad are going to be so mad at me. I said, one thing that I want you to know, I believe that you are capable of so much more than you believe you are. And what I hope for you is that you will always strive to do your best. Now that may be an A, that may be a C, I don't know. Right. But that you will strive to do your, the very best job you can do. If you get straight A's and go on to a good college, is that going to change the job I have or the job dad has? So I was like, no. So is that going to change my ability to go on vacation or live my life the way I want to? It's like, no. Like, but what will it do for your life? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, and the same thing, if you fail all your classes, you flunk out of high school, that's not going to change my job or my path. That's only going to change your job and your path. So I'm here to support you and give you all the resources you need to do your very best. And I will do that, whatever that is. If you need yeah. extra, a tutor, if you need extra things, I will support you to do that. But this is your choice. And this is going to set up your path and your life. Like we think they have to do these things or they have to choose this. Or if I don't do this, that they're damned for life. Yeah. It's like we, we don't know their path. What we do is project our own insecurities, our own belief systems, Onto them. them. Yes. I have taught community ed parenting classes for like 10 years. And one of the things that parents have the hardest time with, the biggest hang up is fights about homework. And when we are talking about, you know, whose responsibility is it and what you really need to do as a parent as far as homework is concerned, there's a lot of ideas, you know, and there's a lot of different feelings as far as 
hands-on versus hands-off and the level to which I need to be involved and supportive as a parent. And that's all fine. But what we have to ask ourselves is at the end of the day, what is the personal impact to me if this child gets an F on their spelling test? Right. What is that personal impact to me? And the personal impact to me is, is zero. (laughs) It's not going to change anything. First of all, I passed that grade already. Plus, And that's the thing that we have to really look at because the reason we believe it has a personal impact to us Mm -hmm. is because we have attached our value or worth as a parent or a human being to them. Mm -hmm. I just had this conversation with my son last night. I reminded him about something he needed to do or I asked him if he had already done it. And he's like, why do you think so low of me? And I'm like, what do you mean low of you? And he was like, well, you think I'm not going to do my stuff? And I was like, oh, no, I'm actually not texting you because of you. I'm texting you because I'm anxious. I'm texting you because I'm worried I'll be a bad mom if I didn't remind you. And then it doesn't happen. Then it's on me. And then it was such a good way for him to be like, hands off. I got this. Whether I do it or whether I don't do it, it's on me. And it was such a great reminder because we really do project onto other people because of these storylines. We do. And that's one of the things that, you know, I really try to help people look through is when they finally recognize their storyline, you know, three of the simplest questions we can ask ourselves is what are the assumptions I'm making, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which 99% like, oh my gosh, this whole story is made based off nothing more than assumptions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very little truth here. Like I have one <laughs> sentence of truth I can give you and then a whole world of stories around it. Yes. What are the predictions? Uh-huh. You know, oh my gosh, if this doesn't happen, just like you were saying, if I don't get them this, they're damned to hell. If I don't do this, yes. you know, they'll never have a job, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. And then what are the projections? Yes. What are the pieces of this that are my issues that I am now placing onto you? Yes. And the, the saddest thing is when there is that projection, what that does is it robs us of the ability to be what we were meant to be for these little humans mm-hmm. that we're so blessed to have as that support. Because now it's not about them anymore. It's about us. Yes. It's about our insecurities, our worries, our anxiety. You know, I tell people all the time, you don't have control over anyone. And then always it comes back to, well, what about my kids? Like, I do have certain things that I'm supposed to control over them. Yeah. But it's like anytime you think you are controlling another human, you got to really step back and look at your projections and you will find a manipulation. You'll find. Yes. That's what I was going to say. You will find a manipulation. And I think one thing that we really have to look at is how often we look at our relationships and what we use them for. How often we actually start using another person to meet our needs, like to validate ourselves. Yes. Exactly. And when you start to use your children as an extension of yourself, I don't know how often you see parents that are thinking of their children as if these are things that I own that make me feel good about myself by the way that they behave. Right. Or if you think about your marriage that way, this is a person that since this person loves me, I get to show the world I'm valuable enough because this person continues to choose me and treats me this certain way. And so when they don't, then you're like, oh no, because you're using them as an, yes, but because you were using them as an object instead of letting them live their human life next to you. Right. The Bhagavad Gita is like the yoga sacred text. There's a passage in there that says the root of all unhappiness stems from the false identity. Yeah. When we attach ourselves to things outside of ourselves, just like you were saying, attach my worth to that I'm such a good mom or attach my worth to I'm married to this person. And so they make me feel this way or my job or my body or 
the car I drive. A lot of perfectionism is born out of that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, anything, when we attach our worth and value to anything outside of ourselves, it's always going to lead to suffering because then we believe if this thing is gone, I am no longer of worth and value. Yes. If this relationship ends, if this body changes, but when we cling and want so deeply for something to stay the same because it makes us feel of value and worth, it is always going to lead to unhappiness Yeah, because we aren't any of those things and we don't have control of any of those things. And when we try to control it, we will find a manipulation. And whenever you're trying to manipulate another, there's going to be a problem in that relationship. Yes. I want you to tell us one more story that's super funny to me because it kind of illustrates the fact that this takes a long time and it's okay that we just continue to work on this with ourselves. Like once we become aware of it, it's going to creep back up in different ways and that there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Right. None of us are going to be perfect. We're not striving for perfection. We're striving to make progress, right? right? We're striving to grow and learn every day. So this is like based on your storyline of it's not safe. The world's not safe. Right. Yeah, this was just a few years ago, maybe two or three summers ago. Every summer we go, I go on a backpacking trip with a group of girlfriends and we choose different destinations and we usually backpack two nights and, you know, we'll maybe hike around 20 to 30 miles. Okay. And we had gone to a place that I wasn't familiar with. I'd never backpacked in this area before in, it was in Mammoth Mountains in California and they're very strict in California about bear protection, which is wonderful, but I had never backpacked somewhere where you needed to have a bear box. Okay. And so the fact that they were saying you have to have a bear box when I backpacked into other places where there's bears and nobody's ever told me I needed to have a bear box made me make the assumption that this place was more dangerous, right? Yeah. You're definitely going to see a bear because that's why you need a bear box. Yeah. Which was actually not the truth at all. You know, it was, it was black bear country, which is much less dangerous than grizzly bear country. Right. Right. But logic plays no role in anxiety. Like that's always something we have to remember. Like, because once you've shifted to that limbic brain and you're stuck in your amygdala, yeah, your frontal cortex is not giving you information. No, I was nervous to go. And so I talked to my husband before we left and, and asked, okay, what are the things I need to really make sure we do outside of, you know, just standard things like keeping your food away and putting everything in the bear box. Yeah, so that I make sure I'm not eaten alive by a bear. Right? right. Yeah, I don't I do not want to be eaten alive by a bear. That sounds terrible to me. That's yeah. an undesirable outcome. I would that like to avoid it. Desirable option for me. at the moment. <laughs> I do not want to be ripped out of my tent and eaten alive. And so he says the most common mistake people make is that they cook their dinner in the same clothes that they wear to bed. Mm -hmm. And so the aromas of the food get on your clothes. And then he's like, and then people are just sloppy. So they spill all over themselves. And then they don't realize that they've got beef stroganoff on their shirt when they go to bed. Right. He's like, so just make sure you cook in other clothes and then clean up the area so that you don't have spilled food around your camping area. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, this sounds great. I'm going to do this. And so. We get out there and, and I'm sharing a tent with a girl. And if you backpack, you know, the tents are very small. Like yeah. They're essentially like on top of each other. Right? right. And so, you know, the rules that apply to you need to apply to your tent mate. Right. And, <laughs> and so we're making our food and she, you know, she's making, I don't know what she's making, some kind of chocolate mousse, something where you just pour the water in and, yeah. and she spills a little bit of chocolate dust on her pants. I can feel my anxiety heightened. And at this point, I know myself well enough that. I know when anxiety's coming in. And so it's like my arms start to go numb. My heart starts to race. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is anxiety. Take a few breaths. Frontal cortex kick back online. Yeah. It's dust of chocolate. It's okay. So I'm feeling a little nervous, but I'm still keeping my behavior under control. I'm like, we're going to be fine. 
so we're going about and we're having a good time and then everyone else sits down and we sit down to eat and my tent mate ends up sitting in between two other girls they're sharing a meal of it's like a pasta primavera uh-huh. and one of the girls go to pass the pasta primavera to the other girl which means she has to pass it across to my tent mate's lap and she spills it and maybe two noodles of pasta primavera land on my tent mate's leg <laughs> and then the rest of it lands on the floor yeah but suddenly like every alarm in my head goes off because yeah. now I'm like now not only do we have chocolate but now we have pasta primavera on yeah. the pan and we're like maybe five feet away from our tent so now our eating area is also littered with food yeah right yeah And I feel my whole body turn numb. I feel it rushing up into my head. I'm like ready to lose my mind. So I'm like, I got to get out of here. I jump up. I walk away. I go climb in my tent. I'm trying to gather my composure, but I don't know what I'm going to do. And one of the other girls walks by and she's just the nicest person. She's like, are you okay? Like, what are you going to do? The best way I can describe it is I feel like the anxiety portion of me anxious alley comes in like a freaking wrecking ball yeah just knocks conscious cognitive alley a hundred miles away from the control panel under a pile of rubble yeah right? anxious alley takes charge and she's like you know what i'm gonna do i know exactly what i'm gonna do and she climbs out of the tent and there's aggressive controlling mean alley and i walk straight up to one of my best friends and I start getting in her face and I'm yelling at her and I'm pointing my fingers. And <laughs> this I'm is like, your tent mate. Yeah. This is, and this is one of my best friends. And I'm like, you are not wearing those pants to bed. You're not wearing those pants into my tent. And of course, like we said, people don't love that. And so she gets a little <laughs> defensive back and, and it turns into this all out fight. I mean, I'm saying the most ridiculous things in the world. She's upset and we're going back and forth and And it's so interesting in retrospect, I can see everybody else's personalities pop out where they're like, either they're the fixers and they're trying to fix it Uh or they're just like out of the picture. Like, I'm just getting out of here. Like, And everyone's like, how are we swearing over chocolate dust and pasta primavera? How did it escalate? Dropping the the F-bomb. I'm like (laughs) losing my shit, right? Like it's gone. And at some point, and I talk about this and there's a meditation I help people through because it's really hard. It's like, people are like, well, how am I ever going to become that aware of myself? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like in the workshop, we really talk about it. Like I walk you step by step and I give you a meditation as to like how to discover these aspects. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but one thing I've known through the practice is that when I am behaving this way, one of the ways the world behaves back at me is they get defensive but they also treat me as if I'm being childish. Yes. After a comment I made, like, I'm going to leave. Like, I'm like, that's fine. I'm leaving. And she's like, really? We're like 13 miles into the backcountry. And we're like 10 hours away from home. And the nearest airport's like five hours away. But you're just going to leave. So she's like, what are you? Like five years old? And that statement, suddenly I'm like, oh, my gosh. Finally, real Allie gets knocked online. And she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Oh, I remember now, like when people, when I'm acting like this, people treat me like I'm childish. Yes. So that light bulb finally goes off in my head and I'm like, it's like, I can feel, you know, regular Allie's like screaming, like she's trying to like get, she's like crawling, trying to get back to that control panel. She's like, no, pause button, you know? Yes. I teach people. It's like, there's a pause. There's a witnessing moment where you have to step back. I'm sitting there and, and I try to teach everyone, like, you have this toolbox, so you got to grab a tool, you know? And so I'm mm-hmm. like, what tool, what tool, what tool? Oh, I got to call this by name and I got to own it, you know? Yeah. And, 
And I look at my friend and I'm like, hey, time out. This is my anxiety talking. And I'm so sorry. I let my anxiety and my fear dictate my behavior. And through that act, we could talk later about the other things, but through that act, we were able to resolve it. We both laugh about it now all the time. Like we were crying and hugging and, you know, <laughs> sharing stuff and, you know, all the things that, you know, that bring you closer together. Yeah. Like it just brought us closer together. And I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, I'd love it if that part of me never showed up again. That would be beautiful. But in reality, she's going to, Yeah, she's going to show up and she's going to show up in minimal ways. And she's going to show up in huge catastrophic ways. And if I give myself tools to manage and deal with whatever level she shows up, then I don't have to damage relationships. I don't right. have to suffer. I don't have to tell myself another story that I'm a terrible person. That's the point of it. We're never going to be perfect. There's going to be highs and lows in our life. And all of those are okay. They're all part of our experience. And my only objective and goal through any workshop I teach, any podcast I go on, is to help give you tools to navigate whatever experiences you're having. Mm -hmm. Because there is a tool and there is a way that we can get through it that does not lead to suffering. You're not going to avoid the pain. That's an inevitable part of human life yes. and existence. But you can avoid suffering. And to me, that's enough right now. Isn't she fantastic? <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that interview with Allie as much as I did. And Allie has a ton of information online and in her app to help a person really be able to navigate their own emotional health. And her app is called Living Consciously. It's free. She has tons of meditations that you can do. And the website where you can find information about the workshops, if that's something you want to do, or find her phone number if you wanted to do like a one-on-one -on -one session, or if you just had any questions about it, if you want to go, is www.meditatewithally.com. That's meditatewithally.com. That's all we've got for this week. I'm Rachel Larson, and please join us again next week. Deep and meaningful and intimate relationships are super hard for all of us. Whether we're talking about our life partners, our kids, our parents, our siblings, our friends, whatever. They take study and they take work. And I honestly believe that Team Universe loves to help us. They brought me to Dr. Allie Mangrum and her information that she had right when I needed it in my personal life. I cannot deny the timing of that, how impeccable and how helpful. They know what we need. And they're ready. They're ready to direct us. They're ready to give us what we need when we are willing to ask the tough questions, especially, but how though?